I'm having a hairstyle crisis. What kind of crisis? I mean, what? Look, it's the, hair, man. What's what is what kind of crisis could there be? Just get the clippers and remove it. There's cool hair. I do not have cool hair. My hair is flat and limp. And like I'm looking at hairstyles that don't involve getting my hair cut every three weeks by my wife, which she does an excellent job and I love her very much and she's awesome. But it takes so long. Really? Like it's not. Yeah, I mean, it are takes, you trying to you're trying to cut to a specific length? Is there like some precision? She's trying to just give me my normal haircut. And it takes like oh. it takes a long time. I'm not going to say how long because it's embarrassing now that look, I'm thinking about it. Look, we all have to make sacrifices right now. OK, yeah. So I think what my sacrifice is going to be, I think I'm going to go for the Keanu Reeves, like shoulder length, long hair. The man. Oh, hair. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's the where opposite. I'm going. That's the opposite direction of where I thought you were going to go. I'm just no, I Which, my head's too weird shaped to shave. I can't do that. Have you tried like, it? It's not a good look for me. Oh, it's happened sure? in the past. Yeah, positive. I, I was going to say, though, with the, the, the length of the mountain man level beard accumulation that you've got going on. Yes. I feel like it would be a good offset. In fact, you would get the full on like head inversion. Here's the problem when like you have got, a giant beard and a shaved head. There's there's there is subcultures that I do not want to associate myself with uh, that okay, associate sure. themselves with that specific uh, look. Yeah. But how often are you going outside the house to mingle with? Those subcultures or any others. At this I don't point. want people to like look at a thumbnail on Twitch and be like, man, that guy's probably a white supremacist. Oh, that's OK. That's not even what I thought you were talking about. But no, I I'm fine. Bikers are cool, man. I like them. They're OK. Uh, I feel like a cue ball and giant beard combo has a lot of versatility. Personally. I don't know. Anyway, I, but the, like the I mean, real thing is I can't use sunscreen. So then I have to be a hat guy full time. Sure. And like that's a whole other problem. I don't, that's I don't, fair. I don't look I, the Keanu Reeves, like the shoulder, like the, the chin length butt cut with the split down the middle ish. Oh, that's yeah. a good look. I mean, well, if your goal is to minimize maintenance, then either shaving it all off or never touching it and just letting it go are your two options. So, yeah, it's either that or like a Carmack ponytail. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah, who would, uh, nobody in their right mind would do something like that. No, that's a bad idea. Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. I have emails, but you have stars? What's up with your... Are you in space? What? Oh, behind me. I can Wait. put emails behind me. You want You want? No, 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 no. Keep the space, please. I'm. Hold on. Could you... Okay, turn... Do you know what okay. this picture is? No, this is a still. famous picture. Hold still. Turn your Turn your head. No, hold still. About... Oh, that's... Yes, hold. Right there. Okay. So uh, what is it? Control. I'm sorry. No, it's it's a window key shift. Can we just take a screenshot in OBS? Nope. nope. Too late. Got it. Snagged okay. it. The snipping God, tool it's full of stars. The Windows 10 snipping tool to the rescue. Uh, you know what this is? This is a famous picture. Don't tell me. If you were to move your chair and head, would I be able to tell? Is the is the focus of the picture right in the middle behind where you're sitting? Okay. I thought it might be the fingers of creation, but it's not that. Um, it's, it's a, it's, it's not the, it's not the horse head nebula. No. Uh, those are probably the only two cosmological photos I know by name. This is the Hubble 25th anniversary deep field. Oh, is that survey. the deep field? Yeah, this is a deep oh. field. So oh, yeah, this I've is seen, like, wait, wait, how many, how many deep fields have they done? 
they do them all the time. They, oh, okay. they like they they do them. They they I mean they don't do them all the time because it takes a lot of exposures over yeah, a long period it takes of time, like months, right? But yeah, the point is this was they aimed at what was an empty patch of space. Yeah, and then took a bunch of exposures over a period of months and then composite them all together, and this is what empty space looks like. Right. If you gather light from that patch of empty space for let's say three months constantly, yeah, or uh, or like three months, yeah. It's okay. it's a I like the deep fields. The deep fields are my favorite pictures. I, I may not have seen this particular deep field. Maybe the maybe it's the first one they did that is so famous. That the I've first seen. one is the famous one. Yeah. Um, but that the, one is incredibly revealing if you are into quantifying the vastness of the cosmos. Yeah. When when you the, actually look at the numbers of what you're looking at, it's like, hey, each one of these dots is a galaxy, and it is hundreds of millions of light years away from us. Right. Right. But so yeah, it's just like, hey, these these points of lights are not stars. These are galaxies. These are each one of these points represents billions of stars. The, the thing I like about this one is that the blue stars are moving toward us and the red stars are moving away from us. Yes. You can see the red shift and the blue that's shift. The, that's the that's the Doppler effect. Yes, right? Doppler, exactly. Little, little Doppler red shift there. Um, I'm about to we're not even getting into emails at this rate. I'm about to type into Google how many <laughs> galaxies are there in the universe because uh Okay, two million million. Two little Doppler so, Redshift is my uh, is my rap name. <laughs> by the way, let me, let me type that into yet another tab here so I can remember <laughs> the episode title. Um, so this has been. You tell me. I mean, I don't know how much you keep up with cosmology, but hasn't this been revised upwards pretty dramatically? The number of uh, galaxies thought to exist in the known or in the observable universe. I thought that for a long time they thought the number was like a hundred billion, and now I they are saying two trillion. This is the scale. This is so I keep track of space at certain scales, like solar system scale, totally down on like <laughs> sure. regional <laughs> neighborhood scale. Not, pretty good at like I know what's up with Beetlejuice right now. We got a couple hundred thousand years before that thing blows. But solar, we're in the window now. Solar system, pretty limited data set. Galaxy sparse, re- relatively easy to keep track of. Yeah. Get much beyond I not that. Been, I have not been keeping track beyond the galaxy scale. OK. Um. But I, I do know you're not, like you're not for a while your, we thought it was infinite you're not, and you're static. Not, you're not into your friendly neighborhood local cluster? Look, I did read the Katie Mack book about the end of the universe, which was intense and good. Yeah, we, and, we got and, a, oh, my God. I didn't know that existed. I should probably also read that. You should read. It we just should, came out uh, earlier should, this year. It's we very should good. Try to, we should try to get her or another cosmologist on the show. Whoever, say, whoever would tolerate us. For, whoever would tolerate our, my in, inane questions for five nonsense. Minutes. I'm sure we yeah. can find somebody who would be into our God, nonsense. I, there is like there's honestly no topic that I am. I get more gooey about. But yeah. um I mean, what, like what about a, a hagfish. I'm in mean, like a figurative sense, like okay, an emotional goo. You're, you're not say. okay. Never not mind. A, I wasn't a, gonna. I was gonna reference the. Whoa. No, never mind. Let's just move on. Okay. Move on. Emails. <laughs> right. Sure. A lot of galaxies out there. Brad, what's that email address? Do you remember? Techpod at content.town. Nice job. That's Tech, techpod I, at content.town. I have a secret. I've yes. never. I've never not remembered the, the I email know, address. I know. It's, it's, just like, a, it's just a badly executed bit. On every podcast, you have to have somebody who plays dumb and asks yeah. questions and somebody who has the answers to the questions. Yeah. And yeah. Turns out, um, little peek behind the production curtain, sometimes it's easier to be dumb rather than to play dumb. It's true. So sometimes you actually want somebody to show up not having done the reading. That was always my my process on Tested was to <laughs> be the person who never had to. No, I always did the reading, uh, oh, actually. Yeah. I know. I wish I could say I was cool and didn't do the reading. But somebody... I like somebody, doing the reading. Somebody, somebody's got to know the facts. Yeah, uh, it's good. It turns yes. out. Um, um, anyway, this this week we've both done the reading on these emails. So. Yes, 
there are a, a passel of emails yeah. here that are that have cues that or, or maybe just statements that yeah. need to be turned into A's. Sure. Yeah. So it's a, a spate of good questions here. Yeah. Uh, that I'm going to begin reading here with this one from Alice in Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, she's writing in about a conversation she had uh, with someone back in 2005. They were trying to convince me they could spend $3,000 on a PC that would be, quote, good enough for the rest of their life. Bear in mind, again, this is 2005. Ancient uh, times. Yes. Do you think this is true? I've always balked at the idea, but recently I've been wondering what would be the breaking point. Uh, the Core 2 duos around that time were 3 gigahertz, but also it feels like the baseline requirements for browsers and day-to-day -day stuff only gets higher as time goes on. Uh, additional caveats, they were a Linux nerd and mostly played open source games, so I don't think gaming would be a hard requirement. Uh, I've tried to use a laptop from 2011 in the last year, and it felt extremely slow. But what if those are just my expectations changing from SSDs and the like? So I'm going to say. First off, my MacBook is a 2013 edition MacBook Pro. It's the last one with the good keyboard before they started going to the butterfly keys with the weird touch bar. And that laptop. Still pretty OK. Oh, my like, God, I don't I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but the Friday before work from home started, literally mm -hmm. the last Friday we were in the office in March, I had exactly the same laptop you're talking about right now. Yeah, a, tw a 2013 Retina MacBook Pro. It's a good MacBook. The so last of the great ones. Totally fine with. IT came along and requisitioned that laptop and issued me a 2019 <sighs> MacBook Pro in its place. Well, the. Oh, the 2019 is the last one without the good, the fixed keyboard, right? Uh, what do you mean or by did fixed, it have the fixed keyboard? Fixed keyboard? Well, so the keyboard, the, the, the super thin butterfly switches that they started putting in the 2016, 2014 MacBook and all of the MacBook Pros with the low profile keys has a flaw in that if any yes. dust gets under the keyboard, the key just stops working and there's well, nothing you can do about it. I haven't had any problem with keys not working, but they do feel very thin and slight in yeah. the action. So I don't yeah. know if that's the same the same mechanism or not, but it's, that's, I wouldn't, that's the bad mechanism. But I they fixed it at some point. Okay, I wouldn't say it feels great to type on, but mm -hmm. yeah, you know. Also, I hate that touch bar. The touch bar is useless. Yeah, it's the touch, the having touch ID on the laptop seems like it would be nice. That's nice. I, I will admit that's nice to not have yeah. to log in with the password. If they had just put a physical escape key, I could live with the rest of the touch bar. But eh. yeah. Eh. Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't mean to derail Alice's no. question here, but I mean the question basically is. I, you know, I feel like maybe we should take this more in a current day context rather than a 2005 context, because even if it's possible now, it was too early then to expect to build a PC that would last you forever. Well, but, I mean, but, but are we going to get to that point? I so here's the thing. Three gigahertz then and three gigahertz now are very different amounts of math happening inside a processor. Like we we didn't we we talked about this a little bit last week and we didn't get into it, but we should have like your your older CPU and my newer CPU, even though they're running at the same clock speed, are doing dramatically different amounts of math each clock cycle like that. That's the benefit of what we get is that we're doing more math at lower power and the same clock rate with newer hardware at th these days. So. I mean, my mom had a desktop computer that was from that era in 2005. The hard drive conked out and she had to buy a new computer. I was like, literally go buy any laptop that you can find and it's going to be faster than what you have. And when she got it, she was like, I had no idea Windows could actually be this fast. Um, partly because the amount of memory you get now, RAM you get now is dramatically higher and that makes you feel faster. And partly because, as as Alice said, SSDs now 
are a massive, massive performance increase in terms of like load time and stuff like that for your apps. My hunch is we're in that same boat now with future hardware, right? So if, if we're talking about buying a laptop, buying a computer today, a, a computer from 2005, the, the physical hard drive is going to have broken. Your fans are going to be gunked up and noisy at best and probably not working as well as they should. Like there's a reason we replace computers every five or 10 years. And it is that this stuff does not last that long. And mem- you know, memory starts going. My mem- The memory in my streaming PC just conked out last week and I had to replace it. Yeah. And it's just because like the stress of running at high temperatures with a lot of electrons running through it eventually causes the electrons to bleed through the transistor right. channels right. and stop working as well C- yeah cpus will die after enough time right yeah. just it's just i think it tends to be a good bit longer than most people are likely to actually use them right well they don't they don't have moving parts right so there's no like friction wearing down bearings causing the bearings to fail and the no lubricant to fail stuff like that inside the actual the the semiconductors but yeah they do still fail and and yeah so i i would say like in in i think a decade is a, a long time for any anything with moving parts or that runs at high temperatures or high clock speeds or whatever to continue working. Sure. And once you get past that threshold, you're going to assume that things are going to start to fail. And when you have parts that are that old, it's probably more like if your RAM dies in a 15 year old computer at this point, it's probably cheaper to buy a new computer than to replace that RAM. Totally. With new, with new. I mean, yeah. you can probably find used relatively inexpensively, but even like, 2005 you could even be looking at like rambus probably not at 2005 but 2003 you'd be looking at rambus and sure. i god only knows where you get rambus in 2020 i mean i'm sure it cost a fortune because it's only like some poor schmuck who has a mission critical server that runs itanium or something then they need that for those ancient pieces of hardware because I mean, they need that to keep running was ddr3 available back then or were we still on probably ddr2 ddr2 still at that yeah, point yeah, that like, that stuff, or, or even like a, you know a, a socket compatible motherboard if your old motherboard dies can be damn near impossible to find depending on how old it is yeah when i when my um when my last desktop machine conked out it was a ddr3 machine getting triple channel memory that was the right configuration and speed and all that was just it was going to cost a ridiculous amount of money and it was it made much more sense to invest in a current platform where the hardware is readily accessible than to continue fixing the old thing sure i'd kind of like to approach this question or reframe this question in a more abstract way though yeah like setting aside just the mechanical like practical concerns of things physically breaking down over time do you think we're going to get to a point where let's say like, what are the common pieces of software that everybody has to use? Like an operating system, browser, browser. um, is there anything else? Like those are the two common denominators, right? I think so. I can't think of anything else that like you are basically required to use on a computer, right? Maybe some sort of messaging app like Slack or WhatsApp or something like that. I mean, but a lot of that stuff is browser based at this point. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like your, it's like your, your parents software lineup, right? It's like the things that the most casual, like, light computer user is going to need yeah are we, are we gonna get to the point where like you know the windows 10 requirements the chrome requirements whatever are just going to stabilize and not continue i think that happened 10 15 years ago right like that's kind of what i'm getting at you know like could you let's say you buy like a nice computer now could that last let's say you know if again if it doesn't break down in, in a ideal world where the hardware holds up could you use it for the next 20 years so just doing those those basic things i think the increasing ram requirements are going to be the thing that gets you always 
like phones on phones, on desktops, on laptops, whatever. Right. Because if you think about it, like when I went to a 32 gig machine on this i9 9000, 9900 machine a year and a half ago, two years ago, it felt kind of extravagant. And now we're starting to see some games that actually will use more than 16 gigs of memory if you give them the option. Yeah, I think Flight Simulator is one of those. Flight Sim is one of them. Um, I feel like one of the Call of Duties is one of them. Like there's, it's it's shocking, but it's happening now. So to be, fair, to be fair, games are kind of an edge case there though. I mean, I think so, but, but he, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Like if, you're, if you're just using basic OS stuff, like, you know, there's no reason that those requirements have to keep going up, right? Like the, I mean, you can, there you isn't can, a reason can, that they have to keep going up, but, but like if you keep upgrading your OS and keep upgrading your um, software with OS upgrades, like, like you don't really have a choice whether you upgrade Firefox now or Chrome now it just updates automatically in the background. So I, I feel like, I feel like maybe we are on an eternal upgrade cycle. It's not like you can run your 2005 era version of Linux and be safe on the internet in 2020. That's fair. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, the thing to do if you want to make hardware last a really long time is when you get to the end of the life cycle for whatever type of memory you have in that machine or whatever the spec is for your hard drives, right? Like at some point, SATA ports will go away and we'll all have NVMe drives and that's all we'll use. So oh, you'll I, can't, wanna, I can't wait for that day. I mean, oh. you, but you'll want to wait for, um, you, you want to stock up on the RAM so that you have a spare when, when that's needed, I think. Yeah. No such thing as a forever computer. I don't think we're going to have forever. I mean, the closest thing to a forever computer is a Chromebook that you plug in and it just downloads all of your crap from from Google's cloud and it right. just works exactly the same on the next one as the current one. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, I have to I have to read this email next because it's about a very similar topic. Uh, OK, it's from Jeff. Very pleased to hear you sing the praises of upgrading and otherwise improving old tech in favor of constantly purchasing the latest and greatest and contributing to our disposable culture. I don't know how it works in the iPhone world, but there is at least one Android project maintaining up-to-date versions of the OS for old model phones, namely Lineage OS. Uh, he's got a link here, but you should be able to Google that pretty easily. I've been using them for several years now on my OnePlus One released in April 2014, and I am now on Android 10 released September 2019. I'll upgrade eventually for more storage, but otherwise am quite happy. Thanks for the podcast and for taking a stance against electronic waste. Like that's, that is the great thing about open source and, and community driven open platforms like this, right? Like if, if there's a need for something like this, that enough people feel collectively, they're going to get together and just do it. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that's that is the argument against buying Apple products, yeah. because for a long time they were really bad at supporting old, old hardware, older hardware. They still um, are. Well, I mean, mm. what's your what's your cutoff? Because I've got an iPhone five that I use as kind of a workout phone. Like I take it out to okay. walk or jog. I just want, you know, I don't want to drop my current phone and break what, it like an MP3 player or something. Yeah, and, like a tra I and a distance should. tracker and stuff. I should, I should just find my old Diamond Rio probably, but. You know what I mean? Yeah, anyway, get the, get the SD card. Oh no, sorry. C. What was, what was that weird flat uh, card that those things used? Com was it compact? It wasn't compact flash? No, I feel like they used compact flash, but they used the other one, the this the the flimsy one that. Oh, felt, um, smart media. Uh, smart. What? I don't even know what that smart is. Smart media. Yeah. Huh. Anyway. Um, yes. So so uh, Apple supports back to the iPhone six S yeah. now with iOS fourteen. 
which is which is like your signal to it's probably time to think about upgrading a phone. Um, I, I don't like I feel like they cut they have a history of cutting loose hardware way before they should. Like the Apple Watch is the most egregious example where the, like the first gen one, the Series Zero was three years old, I think, two years old when they stopped supporting it with new versions of the OS. I mean, that's insane. I agree. It, with It's that. offensive. But, yeah. But but by by cut loose, you mean stop offering upgrades for software upgrades? Yeah, I'm going to have the timing on that wrong. I'm sure it was it was it was that came out in 2015 and by 2018 you weren't getting the new os releases right they released the two os releases in the first year i think so it was like the ios apple os 4 apple watch os 4 or something that it didn't support but but again to clarify by cut loose you mean like you can no longer install the next ios on this device yes that is correct like i i feel like it's in my experience it's been the opposite i've had uh my first iphone was a 3g my second one was a 5 in both of those cases, I kept taking the updates they offered me until the phone became unusable. Well, like, so that, that's the thing is they will let you update it to the point that it is no longer usable. That's what I'm saying is like yeah. that, this this iPhone 5, I, I, it's not even on the cell network anymore. I literally just put podcasts on it from Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and just trying to scroll through and play podcasts is a like it, it sucks. It is beyond infuriating. I mean, it's literally it's literally a touch device that is giving you no feedback when you swipe your phone for like seconds at a time. It is awful. So I think they're better at that now. Um, I don't have a success around to t- actually, I might have a success because I think it was Gina's last phone before she went on the upgrade plan. Um, but, but like, I, I feel like the work that's happening in Android is much better in this space and, and lineage is the, probably the gold standard for that. I know there are several other distros that are similar. But yeah, um, that's, but, that's awesome. I wish I had an option like that. I mean, on Honestly. the other hand, yeah, I mean, I, I guess as phones become less of a commodity devices and less something you just upgrade every two years, because if you don't, you're getting hosed by your by your uh, carrier because you're not, you know, you're not letting them subsidize a new phone for you. Um, when we're looking at phones that cost a thousand, thirteen hundred dollars in some cases, it's it's a different situation. And yeah, we should these things should last, especially especially if the batteries are replaced, like the way the phones are put in, even iPhones now, they're much more replaceable and much easier to get at, much easier to fix if something goes wrong. I, I'm I'm all for not trashing the old stuff and continuing to find use for it. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you know or not, but do you have any sense of why the iPhone, why there are no similar projects available for iPhone? Nobody's been able to get, I don't know, you um, name it. Is, is, it a, is it just, is it the security just that? It's harder. It's harder to root and unload the uh, unlock the bootloaders is my understanding. Okay. okay. Like like you'll have a the the thing about iOS bootloader exploits is that they are ephemeral and that they will be good. Like you'll have one that's good for three point releases of iOS 12. And then once you upgrade to the next point release or to iOS 13, that bootloader exploit goes away. And as a result, like there's no it's it's much more difficult to reliably put your own software and and because of that the market for people doing that is probably pretty small that makes like sense the, the people who are doing the bootloader exploits on ios are jailbreakers in a very small percentage but i think it's mostly security people who are trying to find ways to get data off of you know uh seized iphones and stuff like that sure sure that's a shame i would totally install i i don't know what i don't even know what form that would take some some other alternate os on an old iphone well, if that were an option i mean in a perfect world i apple would say okay here your phone is reaching end of life 
you know, here's the minimum viable OS for this phone and we're going to make it, you know, put it in grandma mode at this point or grandpa mode at this point where it's good for mail and browser and we turn off all the other background crap and we're going to let you know when the battery starts to get hinky and you should probably take it in to get the battery serviced because like that's the other side like with these devices that have batteries in them i know i need to go out and clear the stuff out of my garage (laughs) because i know that there's a psp in there that has a battery in it that's a ticking time bomb and i know that i have a um a couple of other old handhelds that have lithium polymer lithium ion batteries in there that i need to to pull the batteries out of and probably just get rid of the devices before they cause a problem for me. Fair. Or I could just put a smoke detector in the garage and call it a day. Eh, it'll probably be fine. Yeah. I'm sure nothing else will be ruined that's packed deeply in the box next to those things. Look, at this point, a good garage fire would probably be a favor for me. <laughs> Blessing in disguise. Yes. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Daniel in Iowa. Why don't we see e-ink in use in more places? Why hasn't e-ink taken over the world with low power persistent displays? Uh, For example, my cordless vacuum only shows the power level when it is running using using an LED screen. Wouldn't an e-ink display that could show the power even when it wasn't running be more useful? Are there cost barriers or other barriers that prevent this type of use? So if you don't know what e-ink is... Uh, they're really neat displays that have a little bit of fluid uh, floating with balls floating in them. And the balls are have charged sides. So when the right charge is applied, the balls spin all in one direction. So the light side is up or the dark side is up. And that that gives a persist. So, so the only time they draw power for the most part is when the when the state of each pixel changes from dark to light. They're really cool. They're used in stuff like the, the original Kindles, uh, but not the Kindle fires. Those are LCD or LED or whatever. Um. They're really neat because they they once they're lit, once they fire, then the the display stays in that state more or less without any power added. Uh, the reason I think you don't show them and you don't see them popping up in consumer electronics more often is that com- they're inexpensive. But when you compare them to the price of a comparable LCD and the controller to, to display stuff like that, like just browsing Mauser. I wasn't able to find an LCD, like a super small e-ink display that's that's, you know, like, you know, two inches wide by one and half an inch high that didn't cost a couple of bucks with the controller uh, and another couple of bucks for the controller. Whereas you're able to find LCD displays in that price range with a backlight and a controller for like thirty five to seventy five cents in some cases. Wow. Wow. So you're like, you know, ten times the price, uh, you know, five times the price, ten times the price for a comparable display means that the electronics world is never going to use them. Is there any chicken and egg aspect to that problem of it's just an economy oh, yeah. like economy of scale thing of enough devices don't use them so they haven't gotten cheap enough to, for a lot of devices to use them? It, that's, it's because we sell a billion phones that use LCD right. screens a year and we yeah. don't sell a billion e-ink devices that use e-ink screens a year. Sure. Um, do you think there was there kind of a secondary issue there with like, I don't know if this cordless vacuum is a great example of this, but like he's talking about having the, the static screen display. What you assume is a constant charge when you're not using the thing, it just stays at the same battery level, but like batteries do sort of leak or dissipate over time without use. Right. So like something would have to be there updating that screen to be accurate because if you don't use the vacuum for say X number of weeks, 
the state that yeah, screened the, the state. I mean, maybe maybe I'm splitting hairs here. Maybe that's not actually a huge consideration. I mean, that's a UI problem, right? You make your 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 icon for your battery life is fi- has like five chunks in it, and you just, <laughs> just when it goes from eighty hundred percent to eighty percent, you just update it once over that three month period, just, right? Just engineer yourself a bunch of wiggle room. That makes sense. That's that's smart thinking. You should go into vacuum design. If only I could get a job there. That sounds great. <laughs> I guess I could see that being all right. Right. Look, uh, I would love. I would love to be the consultant that comes in and yells at people who do consumer electronics about how shitty their user interfaces are. Yeah, like, man. like, like the people who design microwave ovens and washer, washing it, washer and dryer interfaces, they, they should be in the Hague. I feel like this is an episode idea in the making right now is we need to just do it a whole show on terrible consumer electronics. I mean, UI. You, we say, I say that, but then like, I look at what's the smart, the June smart oven thing. It's like a little convection oven for your, de- for your countertop that has like, it's, it's smart. It has oh. software and stuff. Um, they've released, they announced the third generation of that thing. And every time I've looked at it, I was like, why would anybody spend money on this stupid thing? And then I go and yell at my microwave oven. Cause like, there's no <laughs> way, like I, I physically can't get it to, to run at a low enough power to not make butter explode when I'm trying to melt butter in it, which is really anyway. Yeah. Answer your own question. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let's see here. Here's a very self-serving email on my part Ooh, from Chris. Uh, he says, Brad, for well, I'll, I'll explain the context here. Brad, for your poster, just hang a green screen poster behind you and show a cycle of different posters on it. That would be a fun project. The context is uh, if you've seen any of the giant bomb streams we've been doing at home here, I've got a couple of movie posters behind me. They're full on like 40 by 27 one sheet size like you yeah. get one of them. Actually, it's a Sin City is actually the one from a movie theater uh, that I got from a friend of mine who fine film was managing a theater at the time. Yeah, like I have nothing against Sin City, but I don't love it. I just thought it was cool that I got an actual theater poster and I wanted to frame it. But Mm. anyway, long story short, I have been trying to think of other movies I want to buy posters for. But A, I can't decide on any movies and B, the ones I do like, like it's impossible to get one sheets of any quality for less than like $500 because they're like super collector's items. Yeah. So I wonder if this is actually is he joking or is this any kind of viable solution? Oh, no, we did this at whiskey. It was in the basement. We haven't really Finny made one out of green poster board. Like maybe sounds, Rory did. It sounds too easy to be actually viable, but no, it'd be super simple. You just really? stick it in your frame, hang it up there, put it, don't put glass on front of it so there's no reflection. I was, I was going to say, you probably couldn't use the frame part, right? Well, you the, use the frame edge, but you just don't take the glass off. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, you put whatever you want in. The trick is you'll have to realign it every time you change the camera position. Sure. But like, as long as your shot's pretty straight, it won't be a problem. Wait, are you talking about just manually compositing it into the scene in OBS yeah, or, or like track? Like, well, I mean, if 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 I was doing that, I don't need poster board. I could just do yeah, it myself, do. right? No, because you're in front of the in front oh, of the frames. Oh, it's, for, it's for the cutout when when yeah. I get in front of the frame. Because otherwise yes, you yes. have to rotoscope yourself and you don't want to get in that business. I see. I see. It's uh, a lot of manual labor. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess you should right. 100% do this. I encourage yeah. this, actually. Yeah. Huh. I think this is a brilliant idea. Nothing yeah. could possibly go wrong with it. And then I'm not I'm not even constrained to movie posters at that point. I could put whatever yeah. I want in there. You, if you want to put like a little bit of gameplay up there, you could do that. You could, could do, put something, do yeah. the weather. Put something animated the weather. in there. Yeah. Yeah. The weather. Yeah, man. I've been I've been meaning to get that weather channel simulator going for a very long time. Yeah. Look, I think that there's a real market as a Patreon Look, as a tech pod premium, if you did an annual, a daily weather report ah. at the 10 or $15 <laughs> tier, I bet people would sign up for that. Local Brad on the eights. Yeah, Brad, Brad uh, traffic and weather on the nines. I think if I had 
green screens in those frames. I would, I don't know if this actually exists. Surely somebody's digitized this at this point. The very subtly animating uh, paintings, portraits from the Disneyland haunted house. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, those. Yeah. Is that Disneyland? I think Disneyland, that's Disneyland. Disneyland right? and Disney World both have the haunted mansion. Yeah. Yes. But, but I mean, with the portraits, with the people's faces, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you stare at them and you can't quite tell if they're moving or not, but they totally are. Well, there was a whole thing like around the time we started tested that was briefly popular in like a really specific art world niche that was making still photos that were very subtly animated called cinemagraphs, I think. Huh. And they were like super high res GIFs. They were huge. And there was even um, the people who bought who made Jiffy bought the company called Electric Objects. That's like a photo. It's like a digital picture frame that could play GIFs. And it, it, yeah, it was a cool thing briefly, but not like boing, boing, cool. Not real people. Cool. Do you know how proud I am of myself that I did not bring up your pronunciation of that word? What Jiffy? Through three separate usages. Look, the site, it's it, how fast, how fast just, can you watch this thing? It's I, in a jiffy. It's not like I the just, Quibi. That's a I stupid just, word. I just decided bad to live, people. I just decided to live and let live on that one. Yeah. Just I feel like by mentioning lives. it, you, you lose all kudos you got for your restraint mm-hmm. earlier on. Small victories. Mm-hmm. Okay. I might do that. That's very tempting. I mean, you should look, do that. It would look, really, board. It would look really ugly for the decor in this room when I'm not on a stream, though. Well, oh. I mean, when are you ever not on a stream, though, really? Oh, God, that's really depressing. Look, I have a gigantic green curtain hanging behind me. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Do you do you I'm I'm fully going to derail this podcast. Do you have any amount of your stream set up that you take out like you put up and tear down between streams or is 100 percent of it just there permanently like as a fixture now? Um, I can including the green screen, I suppose. So I can roll up the green screen if I want. Okay. Um, it's on, it's on, I got a film roller and, uh, like the things, you know, the thing is if you go to like a photo studio, they have the paper drapes and they're on those. So I have those hooks screwed into the ceiling and there's a cord that I can pull that makes it go up and down. Wow. Nice. Um, Fancy. But it's still hanging up there. Like it's, it's there. It's not great. You know, it's it's there. But I mean, the nice thing is there's a lot of good storage back there where I can just pile shit up and get it out of the way. And then <laughs> nobody, nobody know. knows it's there. Nobody will know. It's pretty convenient. Um, it's where the spare chair is that my daughter sits in when we play games or something together. Uh, I mean, I ask because like I've got the, I've got this uh, big key light and nice mirrorless camera rig and all this other stuff that I use for streams. And so far between streams. I take this whole light and camera rig down. I wind up every cable that is around and put it away. Like, you know, we've talked about how much I desire a, an extremely and imminently tidy desk. I've been for, shaking my head this whole time. You should leave the like the amount of time you're burning setting up lights and nonsense is ridiculous. Just leave thing. it it's, set up. It's your that's job. Why, that's why I ask because it's becoming prohibitive. Like, yeah. I think I think this stream deck that I got this, this Elgato. Did you get I the have, big boy? Yes, I've got the XL here. Man, which I need one of those I th- the XL I think was maybe a bad choice because there were so many buttons that I've just put off setting it up. <laughs> I literally looked at the application and I was like, this is so many buttons. I have no idea what I'm going to put all these. And then I just just start not, with one row. I have not bothered to do any setup on that thing for the month that I've had it because I just, I don't know. Oh, it's really hand. Um, I know. I know it is, but, but look, like, if you want a smaller I think, one, I can hook you up. I'll ah, trade you straight out the gate. Okay. No problem. Take that into consideration. Yeah. But Anyway, I asked because I think that stream deck might be one device too many for me to want to 
set up and run cables and plug stuff in. Blah, God, blah, if, blah. You're, if you're breaking like lights every time, that's insane. Well, it's not that bad. It's on a stand. It's on a portable, like a weighted stand. Oh, so it's not like bolted to the desk. It's no, not no, one no, of those no, stands. No, God, no, that would be insane. Okay. But, uh, it's, it's on a, a free moving stand that I could just set in the corner of the room and I'm not using it. And the camera is attached to the light. So that's, but I still have to wind cables and run stuff all over the place. No, it's dude, like, don't do that. Just leave it up. Oh, like you, look, look, imagine, think about this. What if you're, what if you, something, you're playing a game. What if you're playing, you know, Spelunky 2 and like something amazing happens. You're like, shit, I got to stream this right now. This is so good. I don't want people to miss it. Right. Think about the time you'd have, like, if it's all set up, you just turn on the stream PC, hit the button and boom, you're gone. You're up there. You're ready to go. Just living out our whole lives on the internet. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, there's a whole other conversation to have about the wisdom of that. But, but assuming we're too late to have that conversation, what with it being 2020 and you having done this for 20 years now, you should just move on and answer the next question. I think (laughs) rather read more emails than question my life decisions. Um, let's see here. Uh, question from CJ. My wife and I just had our first kid. Congratulations. Uh, so we're taking a lot of photos. We mm, started congratulations. a Google, Yeah, totally. Uh, we started a Google photo album that we share between us for adding all our photos uh, of our daughter. You guys always talk about backing up all your files multiple times. So I was wondering if there is a simple way to automatically download these files from our shared Google Google photo album to my computer's hard drive. Um, you, t- you tell me if you disagree, but I feel like if you've got your stuff on Google, you're probably fine. Of all the commercial <sighs> services for you to host files on, like... I don't know. I feel like... <laughs> I feel like if something so catastrophic happens that you cannot get your photos from Google... We have got way bigger concerns than archiving photos at that point. So you tell me. I'm of two minds here because one is that, yes, if anybody is going to not fuck this up, probably it's Google. On the other hand, Google closes, kills products with reckless abandon all the time. Yes, that's fair. I assume that because Google Photos is tied to OneDrive and there's money attached to it and all that stuff, like they're not going to kill it without some sort of a heads up and time to back up your stuff. Uh, the other thing about Google is it's pretty easy to use Google takeout to grab just the photos from your Google photos library. If you so desire, you'll hit a button, you'll tell it what you want to get. It'll bundle that all up into a bunch of zip files, and then it'll give you like 10 terabytes of shit to download a day or two from then. So I don't know. I back up my photos separately before they go up to Google rather than after. But I also I guarantee you there are photos on Google Photos that are not backed up anywhere else. And I feel like I'm probably OK with that. Like the the number of things that they would. I I trust Google more than most other companies to not make a mistake that would cause loss of data on their end. And realistically, if they did something, I probably would never know because there's just so much stuff up there. Like <laughs> we went we went from taking like 1500 photos a year to 12,000 for Whoa. the first 5 years that she that the, our daughter was born. That's a lot like of it's, photos. It's just it's just it, like going through and making the photo albums of those first few years was a multi-week process by both of us in like spending an hour or two a night at it and it was horrific. I was going to say that's like I'm just fuzzy math in my head. Isn't this like 30 plus photos a day? 
or something. Oh, but I mean, there's burst photos and all sorts of like, oh, sure. look, yeah, if you're just hitting, if, you, if you're, if you're planning to like take 12 photos per instance and only keep one of them or like yeah. pick the best one, I guess that's different. And, and also, but so the lesson there is delete the bad ones immediately. Don't think you're going to do it in the future because you're yes. not right. <laughs> never will. Right. You're never going to go back and be like, well, maybe I should delete this one. Um, the other thing is like you end up like when one person's at work and one person's at home, the person at home often is like taking pictures because they're like, oh, I want to show you this cool thing that happened today. And like, that's that's awesome. I love that. So whereas I was taking pictures of my lunch. So I had that going for me, too. I don't know. So, the answer is probably I I. People are going to say Google kills everything all the time. Google Photos is a service that is used by millions of people that has not stopped Google from killing stuff in the past. Fair. However, there is money tied to this in Google, and it is one of the main selling points of Ant. Like if you buy a Pixel phone, you get free storage for every photo that you take on that Pixel phone. And that is a major, major, major selling point and a key differentiator for Apple, who charges you to store all the photos that you that you take on their devices. Yeah. And and I think that that is. I feel confident that that is not a product that is going to go away. It might change form. We may not like what they change it into. I feel like it's probably okay. Yeah. Uh, but for, yeah, peace of mind, I could see having a local backup being nice. What did you say? The Google takeout is a Google the takeout. It? So I think it's just takeout.google.com. But uh, so, um, so that is, that is a Google product, not a third party thing. Yeah. Fitz, Fitz did that. Uh, oh, or, yeah. Awesome. That was, that was his, one of his things before he left Google. Oh, that's cool. There you go. Yeah. Grab those photos and uh, I don't know. Put them on a USB hard drive and put them in your safe deposit box or something. It is, uh, yeah, takeout.google.com. There you and go. when you click there, it asks you which account you want to use. You sign in, you do all your stuff, and then you tell it, like, you can even download all of your YouTube uploads and stuff there. Oh, you can download all your YouTube it, comments. Is that wait, wait, is that literally just a portal to anything you've it ever is, put on Google? If you would like to get all of your calendar entries and all of oh, your Gmail weird. and all of that stuff, you can choose which services you want to pull from, oh, and wow. then it'll give you a bundled file with all of that stuff. Huh. And also, like, the JSON stuff that you need to make sense of it, or XML, wow. depending on which services it is. It is, a, it is a phenomenal thing. It works like 90% of the time. That's, in my that's pretty awesome. That's pretty yeah. awesome. I love when companies open things up like that and just let you have at it. The important, it's a really important to look at the size of like at one point I was like, we should back up all of the tested YouTube videos. And then I mashed the button to do it. And it gave me a file that was larger than every hard drive we had in the <laughs> office at the time. So, wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty intense. Wait, what format is that file? It's just a, it's like a series of, it wasn't one file. It was a series of zips that were like okay. each 500 gigabytes or something. Yikes. To, and it was 24 terabytes of, of video. That's pretty it, intense. Cause, well, cause they save the uploads, right? So they save the uploads and then transcode them down. So they look oh, shitty. So they wait, fit in with everything the, else on YouTube. These are the source files so you that you have uploaded? Source uploads. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. But like also. Yeah. It was that's, a lot. That's intense. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Good job. Fits. Um, he hasn't worked on it a long time. He hasn't been there yeah, like yeah. eight years or something. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Uh, let's do a couple more quick emails. Here is a question from Rahul. I was curious how you use Discord. I'm a Patreon member and have popped into the TechPod Discord on occasion, but because it works in such a different way to other social media, I find it quite daunting to jump into any discussions because it feels like it feels a bit like hovering near a group of people having a chat at a party but not knowing when you can join in. I'm, I'm going to give you a little piece of advice. If you are self-aware enough to have that feeling of, of being an interloper, you're like fine. You're, you're probably cool. You're probably yeah. cool enough that you're not going to bother anybody. <laughs> yeah. 
Get in there. That if you is, have, feel like you have something to share, have a question answered, go is, for it. Like quite, I mean, quite literally, that is a good litmus test of if you were concerned enough about other people's feeling and feelings and level of comfort to think about things in those terms, then you're probably fine. Uh, but I'll finish reading the email here. Um, Perhaps your experience is different, especially because you have more of a history of using discussion boards, but I'm interested to know how you use Discord in this context. Um, I totally get what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't join a lot of big public discords. Like, I, I usually, like... Not in any. Yeah, like I, like, I joined the OBS one when I needed some specific OBS help, and, like, I got on the classic gaming one when I needed some Mr. Help, but, like, it's kind of pretty uh, targeted usage of servers like that, but, like, yeah. I, I get it, you know? Like, it's can be a little intimidating when you've got a big crew of regulars and you don't want to just like butt in. Well, but, but I mean, so here's the thing. I hope that what we've built with the tech pod discord specifically, like I, I use different discords in different ways. I definitely have ones that I dip into for tech support help on specific products that are product. Like when I had a problem with Hades frame rate, I posted in the Supergiant discord. And one of the, one of the folks that works at Supergiant responded was like, Hey, send me your DX diag. And then he was like, change this, t- these two settings and stuff will be fine. I was like, okay. And it worked fantastic. That like, that is a beautiful tech support experience. <laughs> a plus interaction. Yes. Um, if I didn't already love that game, I would love it even more after that. The, the other one is that like, I'm in a lot of community discords for like Twitch channels that I subscribe to or follow or whatever. And those are much more like, I want to dip in and see what people are talking. Like if I want to dip in and see what people are talking about, about like a new game coming out or like if, like the, if there's a podcast I like, then I, I know that like the Spelunky show, like, which is now I think called eggplant, is going to have like all the hot roguelike information about the games that I should be like, keep kind of maybe not playing right now, but keeping my eye on stuff like that. Um, I, I, on something like the tech pod discord or my Twitch discord, or I assume the giant bomb discords are like this, but I don't know. Like I'm, I kind of dip into the things like I graze. I don't, I definitely don't try to read everything that's in there. Cause even on the tech pod discord, which is like a 1200 or 1300 members, it's way too much to read everything that happens in every channel. Even if that was my full-time job. Um, but like I dip into the, to the PC one, when I have something new or interesting that I'm curious about there, or I dip into the Hades one, the game section, when I want to talk about Hades and see what builds people are using stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I just kind of dip in and dip out. I don't know if your experience is different on that. Uh, it's, it depends on the, you know, how uh, invested I am in being part of the community. But like, this actually reminds me all of going all the way back to like IRC in the nineties. Yeah. Like, like the, the best advice I could give if you want to actually really become like a part of a community is just lurk for a while. Like yeah. just, ha- just hang out and listen and watch. Like that's what I would even do on IRC channels where I was new, you know, like that's kind of when I started posting on Shack news 20 years I, ago, I was right? literally going to mention Shack news as yeah. being, or excuse me, the quake holio when I started, yes, of course. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, like that's, that's the best way to become, that's, that's the best way to go from being an outsider to a regular is just to hang out and lurk and see what everybody's mannerisms are and what the kind of modes of interaction are i guess for lack of a better term you know what i mean just like kind of hang out and get the vibe of the place and then just like once you feel comfortable and you will eventually you will feel comfortable just by having absorbed enough of kind of what the tone of the place is to begin with i mean and the thing is even in the tech pod discord where we have like like we have literal rocket scientists right yes (laughs) um it still blows my mind it's right i mean it's still it's still a place where you are going to have some expertise that you probably don't even realize is expertise 
that you can share and that people will be super stoked about. Like, like, you know, somebody the other day was talking about repairing, I think, tractors in my discord and somebody else popped up with some really specific information that he was like, wow, this is incredibly useful. He's like, yeah, I never thought I'd be talking about this here. But but like we all know something that's amazing and useful and good. This is the lesson of tested is that if you if you sit down and start talking to somebody who cares so deeply about something that they're willing to spend their time and or money on it. Right. Like they're going to have information that is worth sharing and worth spreading and worth appreciating. And, and, you know, whenever we sat down and talked to somebody, there was some high school kid who had done a project on like maglev build building a scale model maglev train or, um, you know, a person who made a electric skateboard from scratch. Like you, you, everybody's interesting. That's the TLDR. Yeah. That's kind of how, whoa, careful microphone arm. Uh, that's kind of how I've always felt about communities. They're really passionate about like deep subjects like this, especially yeah. technical ones. Like there, to me, there are kind of, there are two ways you can bring value to a community like that. You can offer your own knowledge or you can give someone else an opportunity to offer their knowledge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can Absolutely. either bring, bring something new to it yourself or, you know, people wouldn't be there unless they were very passionate about subjects that they love talking about. So if you don't have something you want to offer yourself, but you want to give them a chance to offer you something. You know, you know what I mean? Like, well, and, it's, and it's, like, it's equally gratifying to either learn something or to teach somebody something. Yeah, ex- exactly. And, and like, we all have weird, weird things that we know way more about than we should. Right. Like, like, even if you think, you know, nothing about nothing there's, which is, I, I feel like that's the, that's the thing that, that people like, I was talking to a friend the other day who's helping with fundraising on some, some stuff for their kid's school. And, and they were like, it turns out I have gotten, I've been doing this for like six years because I have two kids and I've been doing this since the first one was in first grade. And as a result, I have a lot of endemic knowledge about how to do fundraising stuff. And I never, ever in a million years would have thought it would be useful. But when they joined a community full of people that are like trying to learn how to do fundraising stuff, because they suddenly have kids that are in that, in that age range, then, then then they were able to give a lot of valid and really useful information and and share a lot of insight that it usually is gained the hard way. So yeah. yeah. Just yeah. jump in. Yeah. Jump in don't, yeah. Like we have an inclusive community. Don't be totally. rude. Totally. Yeah. That's the yeah. only rule is don't be a jerk to other people yeah. and, and try not to be a mansplainer. Like, like, <laughs> you know, don't come in and, and start explaining how car stuff works. Cause probably there's somebody who, if you don't really know, because there's somebody there who probably designs cars anyway. Yes. Yeah. But we have really, honestly, from what I've seen, haven't really had any issues of that nature. It's been a, the, the most gentlest of feedback has helped solve any of the problems that we've yeah, had, which is always a good sign. We don't have mods. A, it's, we yes, don't we've, mods. We've, we've never had moderators on that discord, which I feel like is pretty telling. We could, I could argue that maybe we would be better, well served by adding some people to help wrangle content and like perk the good stuff up to the top, but that's a different conversation. Yeah, sure. All right. Last email real quick from Eric. What would be the ramifications of just deleting numlock from every keyboard right now? I mean, I use numlock. I, I bind my mute soft key to numlock. So when yeah. it's lit, my discord is <laughs> muted. And when it's not, my discord isn't. That is the true use of numlock is that it's just a dummy key for whatever else you want to assign to it at this point. You know what? That's not true because I'm on a 10 key list. I use scroll lock for that, not numlock. I see. Yeah. I scrolls. On this Apple keyboard, numlock is actually labeled clear and does not have a light on it. What? 
And yet there are plenty of Windows applications that might need you to use the number pad. And uh, how, yeah, how do you knock your lock your nums? It's still no, it's still that's what I'm saying. It still works as num lock. It's just called clear <sighs> and doesn't actually tell you if it's locked or not. If the nums are locked, there's no way of knowing. The light using scroll lock for the mute was has been a is is like before I got the stream deck and have a physical button for it. It was real good because I yeah. would hit that and I would know I was clear. Yeah. I should, probably, um, I should probably get a full another keyboard. I've got that. I've got that amazing look, mechanical it's time, man. I've got I've got that uh, amazing mechanical keyboard that Twinkle Twinkie sent me from the discord. But there's a whole channel about those keyboards. I just I'm so attached. That one is a, a 10 keyless, I believe, is the level that one's at. Right. That is a 10 keyless. The one I that they sent. Maybe it's it maybe a 60 percent. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's, keys? A, maybe it's a, yes, it does have function keys. Yeah. So it's it's a 10 keyless. Probably. Okay. I just I am so. I don't know. You hate things that are awesome. I'm so married to the, num- <laughs> the numeric keypad. Well, I need, look, I, need, gonna, I need 104 keys, man. Look, Brad, for about $10, you can get a USB key, key not the uh, numpad. Yeah, but then that's that one you more. pull out when you need it. That's one more cord across my desk, and you know how I feel about that. Well, then get a Bluetooth one for 20 bucks. <sighs> you know what I did, though? I uh, buy uh, is a, I bought one of the new Logitech MX518s. Ooh. That's why I had them for 20 bucks. The mice, the the second, yeah. the, it's like the respin of the old mouse. Hell yeah, man. It's the best mouse ever made. Wow. Did you ever have an MX? Yeah, man. I, I used to, re- when that came out, I was reviewing mice still. It's a good the, mouse. It's fine. The, MX, the MX518 is the last mouse I had before. Uh, is Actually, is this true? I was going to say, I think I put Teflon tape on the bottom of that one, but maybe that's not Ooh. true. Maybe it did have Teflon. It had Teflon feet. Did it? It okay. would have, yeah. It has, maybe, well, it has the little discs that had small pads. The I, pads maybe were smaller right. than you maybe. might like. Okay, maybe it was the Intel mouse I had before that that I put the Teflon tape on. The Intel mouse, you definitely had to replace the tape yourself. Okay. Anyway, MX518 is the best mouse ever made. Um, and I'm going to go pick it up from Best Buy soon. I, wow. Because it was 20 bucks. I really like my Logitech G Pro. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are better mice, but it was 20 bucks. <laughs> 20 bucks is <laughs> a bright point. Is it, I, is it a laser sensor now or is it an optical? Yeah, no, it's like, uh, it's updated. It's modern to like, hardware. So they're, they're whatever their modern internals are. It's real comfy for a palm, for a palm grip person. Yes, that's, that's me, I think. I, I've switched to a, a, a claw well, as kinda, I've gotten older, turns out. midway between a claw and a. Oh, a modified a grip. Something like that. A hybrid grip. Brad, I've got one more thing. One more thing. What is it's this? Not, an Apple keynote? There's nothing under your chair, if that's what Aww. you're asking. Uh, I have been testing for the last couple of weeks one of NVIDIA's new 360 hertz G-Sync displays with reflex latency analyzer. That's too many hertz. It's a lot of hertz. That's a lot of times per second. Look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to say it made me better at games, but I'm pretty sure it's made me better at games. Like, I don't have any data. I, it just, the games feel good and I'm real fast now. Like, I feel like I'm about 10 years younger and I got instincts. I got the eye of the tiger. I got the thrill of the fight. I've been, I, I killed a professional streamer in PUBG the other day. Wait, how did you play a professional streamer in PUBG? Look, there's not that many people playing PUBG anymore. So when you, when you get in there that like, they just like, they show up in your games. And you're Wait, like, oh, that's a famous name. I know that person. Wait, is, is PUBG dying? 
Uh, Brad, I got bad news for you. (laughs) Is this a bad question to ask? When was the last time you played PUBG? Uh, About two years ago. Yep. So same for everyone else. They had a cheater problem and then they had some. Look, that's a whole different topic for another day. There's still a lot of people playing PUBG, but there's not there's like five or six games going at any given moment, not like 30 games going at any given moment. Maybe if my monitor was able to refresh 360 times a second, I would play more PUBG. Uh, it's well, okay. So first off, PUBG is not a great game for the three and six. Cause it's like, even with a 3080 and a pretty good CPU and fast RAM and all that business, I peak out at like 240, 250 frames a second. But, uh, moving from a 60 Hertz monitor to a 360 Hertz monitor, I will tell you that uh, right out of the gate, uh, flick shots, headshots, seeing stuff in windows when you're driving by at hundred miles an hour, um, a peak advantage goes like it's trimmed way down. Peakers, do you know? Do you know about Peakers Advantage? Vaguely, like intuitively from the name, yes, but I'm not quite sure. I understand the. I don't. I don't understand it on a mechanical level why it happens exactly. Okay. Okay. So the basic idea is if you are sticking, if you're, if you're like playing Valorant or CS:GO, something that's really, really fast runs at a ridiculous frame rate, and you stick your head around the corner, so you are uh, to the cover peaker. a corner, right? You're the peaker. Correct. You're, no, no. At that point, you are the person that is defending. You are the peaky. You are the person who is being peaked. The person at the other end of that hallway who sticks their head around the corner has an advantage in in that your computer will not draw them until uh, the packet that says, hey, this person's peeking around the corner sure. travels to the server, comes down to you. And then your computer has to still render that stuff through the CPU pipeline, through the GPU pipeline and through the oh. frame buffer and out to the monitor. Is this so, a, is this an artifact of uh, client server client side prediction? This is an artifact. It's a little bit about client side prediction, but it's mostly just like time to flight of packets. So okay. the upshot is if you are peeking a corner in a game like Counter-Strike or, or PUBG or Valorant, you have an advantage in that you will not be drawn on your opponent's screen who is holding that corner for, you know, anywhere from uh, 50 to 150 or 200 milliseconds, depending on what their their network latency and the render latency, the system latency of the rendering pipeline on their computer is. Tri- triple digit latency sounds like plenty of window for somebody to straight up headshot you before you even have a chance to see them. That is that is so. In games where the time to kill is low, so something like a Halo or maybe a Battlefield, um, it doesn't matter as much, right? Because like who gets the first shot in Halo matters a lot less than who managed to hold the hold the stream of bullets on the person the entire time. And right. More so even than like two people shooting at the same person makes makes yeah. more of a difference. Oh, I, um, that, that said, I will say that even. Um the little bit that I dabbled in uh, Trials of Osiris, or no, it was uh, by the time I got to it, it was Trials of the Nine, not Osiris mm-hmm. in Destiny. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like the the weekend that I spent with some extremely savage people at Destiny multiplayer. <laughs> it was horrific. It's horrific, who, right? Who, well, what I was gonna say is they, they, I mean, they got me my kill streak or my win streak. But um, yeah. uh, even in a game like that, with shields and recharging health and all kinds of like time to kill buffers they were still pre-firing corners and all that stuff, you know, like they were still doing all the compensation that you do to try to get around this. Well, so so that's exactly it. Like people who are really good at a game or people who are professionals learn tricks. So for example, they will accelerate past where they, where their eyes and the monitor tell them that they should be putting the crosshair because they know that by the time they shoot and the bullets register, the server will have the other player in that spot. That is Uh, really interesting that you mentioned that because there have been a number of times, mostly in single player games, because I guess mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm not good enough in multiplayer these days. I'm too old. 
for this. You, but it, I'm like five years older than you, dude. More I, than that. That's right. And you are a you are a prize winning PUBG player. So. I have been I have won money playing uh, video games fair, as an adult. What I was going to say is like uh, I, I never consciously realize I'm going to do it until after the fact. But there are definitely times where I feel like I will whip the mouse past where I think the person is and shoot in front of them. And obviously that's leading them, which is pretty standard. But like. I feel like there might be a gut level reaction that sort of helps you compensate for this stuff, even when you don't think about it. Well, well, so when NVIDIA rolled this stuff out and we were in the pre-briefs for the reflex stuff specifically, which we'll get to in a sec, they explicitly said the difference between pros and normal people is that normal people react to what's on the screen and the pros yeah. train themselves to the, react to what they know that's happening. And, and part of that is simple stuff like pre-firing corners and things like that. But a lot of it is just, you know, you you gain an innate sense when you play thousands and thousands and thousands of the hours of the same game as to what you need to do. And, and what NVIDIA posited, I don't know if I buy it yet, um, is that having a higher refresh rate display helps cut down some of that disadvantage for more normal players or people who play, maybe, maybe they're not normal. Maybe they're not, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're nine to five. I'm going to play like four hours of games a week guy, but, but there's somebody who devotes themselves to Fortnite or PUBG or Valorant or, or call of duty or something like that. And that, and that's the main game that they play. So I've been testing the three and 60 Hertz stuff. I, I don't have a ton of experience with like with lower refresh rate monitors that aren't 60 Hertz monitors, but huge, huge performance increase going from 60 Hertz to anything faster than 60 Hertz is what I would describe so far. Um, the the latency testing, the system latency testing stuff and the reflex API bits are are interesting, too, but I think less interesting to normal people and more interesting maybe to us. Um uh, Re Reflex is an API that NVIDIA rolled out that basically moves the kind of uh, G-Sync anti-judder and anti-frame uh, rate, uh, like 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 micro stutter compensation stuff, a little bit further back in the pipeline for games that support it. So if you have a game that's really, really, really GPU bound, where the CPU is hardly doing any work, it can it can feed more 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 information than the GPU pipeline need really knows how to handle, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that things can end up getting rendering all at once or really fast. So, so it's basically it times things out so that the GPU is getting the most accurate information for each time it has to render a, a new frame. Uh, and, and the upshot there is that you don't see as many micro stutters when you're running at like 360 frames a second in CSGO. Well, CSGO is not a good example because it doesn't actually support it. But in Fortnite, in um, in uh, Valorant, in uh, COD, and I think in Overwatch. I'm not sure about Overwatch. No, it's, it's just Warzone. It's Call of Duty Warzone, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Valorant, <clears throat> and Fortnite right now. Okay. And I believe this goes back to the, what is the 900 series? The Maxwell cards? Is that Maxwell? This stuff works on a lot of older cards, yes. Uh, at, it, it at, definitely, least, at least Pascal, the 1080, the 10 yeah, they, series. They recommended some testing on a uh, 1660. Okay. So that, so that you could make the game's GPU bound a little bit easier. Um, and it seems like the reflex... Uh, the, the reflex support in engine uh, is only like the games have to actually actively support it. Right. So, and that's separate. That's totally separate from like your fancy high refresh monitor and also like plugging a mouse straight into that monitor and all that stuff. Right. That seems to be the case. I'm not a hundred percent on that when I think about it. It's something I didn't ask if the reflex stuff is hardware specific. So um, I will, I'll check that and maybe, 
post on Twitter when we post the podcast. Um, what I mean I mean, is like, I, th- I think that you, you get some benefit from the software reflex implementation, oh, uh, even, yeah, even if you absolutely. don't have the, the fancy hardware is what I'm if saying. You, if you have a G-Sync monitor and a supported video card, you will see benefit f- and you're running games. It's, it's probably more likely that you're not running games in GPU bound configurations rather than like, like, like this really benefits when there's a deep render queue, when there's a lot of information queued up in the, in the, in the pipeline, in the graphics pipeline. Uh, than it does in like the way you would play the game. Like in realistically, in order for me to get Fortnite GPU bound on a 3080, I had to turn on RT, like ray tracing and a bunch of nonsense that I would probably never turn on if I was a competitive Fortnite player, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's, this is this is a little bit more of a um, this is something that, that professional people who play professionally and at a really high level are probably going to use, I think, more than um normal people unless unless i mean i do know that some people are much more sensitive to the micro stutter stuff than than we do so there you go sure um and then the other part of this thing that i think is super neat because we tried to we tried to test this uh, 13 years ago at maximum pc and couldn't figure out how to do it on the budget that we had available uh is that they've added a system latency tester to the monitor so you can actually, te- and I, I apologize for the wood chipper that's going in that one of my neighbors <laughs> is cutting down a tree, but there's like a low grumble that I'll try to edit out, but I don't know if it's going to yeah, happen. Slice of life, man. People enjoy it sometimes. Yeah, we're not recording in the studio right now. So um, anyway, you know, when your neighbor fires up his boat, sometimes people think it's a fun little detail, a little, a little window into Will Smith's life and not so much in a recording annoyance. Yeah, no, I, I did manage to filter that. Anyway, um, <laughs> the so the average system latency tester lets you break down the CPU part of the pipeline, the GPU part of the pipeline, and then also now the mouse click to CPU part of the pipeline. So you can see how much latency your mouse adds, how much latency your CPU part of the pipeline adds, and how much latency the GPU part of the pipeline adds. And you can tell overall how much latency there is between the time you click and the time the shot registers on the screen, which is, I think, super cool. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Oh, wait, so wait, does the monitor read that stuff out or is that on are you getting, so, through, getting that through software in Windows or like how, how how does that stuff work? Well, so the way it works is you plug the monitor, the mouse into the monitor. OK, and that, that's uh, and the whole that's the situation where there's like the specific reflex USB port that you have to use. There is a red USB port <laughs> on the Asus monitor that I'm using. Uh, yes. And you you so you plug the mouse into there, you tape off the bottom of the mouse when you're doing benchmarks so that you don't actually accidentally move the mouse and jack up the the frame timing for the scene once you pick the spot that you're going to you're going to test in. And then you uh, shoot and you put a box using the HUD, like the like the on screen display on the monitor on the place where the muzzle flash displays That's wild. So it's literally looking for like frame changes to it, calculate yeah, it's looking wow. for pixels to get go from dark to bright. So you need to find a dark spot in the scene and you you uh, put that up there and then it pops up in GeForce experience. You can put that up the little performance hut up and it will show you exactly how long it takes between the the time the mouse is clicked and the muzzle flash happens. So do they, do they recommend specific games that have like instantaneous muzzle flashes? Because I'm sure there are some games where the firing animation takes longer to really ramp up like more frames to yeah. truly ramp up than others. So I wonder what, like what, what is the fastest gun in the West as far as like first person shooters are concerned? Well, so Fortnite had shockingly good latency compared to the other games I tested. Um, I was seeing like 18 frames a second with reflex on 
uh, sorry, 18 milliseconds, 18 to 19 milliseconds. The average was like 18.6 with reflex on and uh, with reflex off. I was seeing 22 to 23 with an average of like 22.4 milliseconds. So like it's not it's like a six six millisecond swing, basically, which isn't isn't huge. But I did notice a significant reduction in micro stutter uh, when I was actually playing the game, which which is which is, I think, the big win here. Um, the Call of Duty numbers were closer. Like I didn't see as big a, a drop. Also, Call of Duty was running at a much lower frame rate than than Fortnite was um, in the situation. Like with with ray tracing on and all the stuff I needed to do to get the game GPU bound on the on the hardware in the system. Was that last year's game or the beta for the new one? This is uh, Modern Warfare, and I was testing that actually in the in the uh, battle royale training mode where you go to the quarry and there's a tower, there's a specific spot. They listed several spots that were good to test stuff in each of the games. Uh, Fortnite was happening in creative mode. So there was less stuff on screen. It wasn't, it was just those little small areas that they start you out in, not the larger kind of, you know, main Island with twist tilted towers and all that business. This wood chipper is really loud. <laughs> I can't even hear it, but I assume that the, this video call is filtering it out for me. The noise gate is probably getting it on my mic. Okay. Um, uh, maybe they can't even hear it. I like that optimism. <laughs> anyway. All right. So like you get the latency number on the monitor. I mean, you, I think you also can get it in Windows, right? So you, you it, it pops up like an overall latency on the monitor with the frame rate display that's built into the monitor. If you turn that on, it's it's huge and like the top left of the screen. So I, I wasn't using that. Uh, there's a special version of GeForce Experience that was pre-release for our testing purposes that you bring up the performance overlay and set it to the latency one and it breaks down everything. Uh, with like uh, PC latency, uh, GPU, uh, CPU latency, GPU latency, mouse latency, and then they bundle all of that together as system latency. Now, there's a couple of gotchas. Uh, one of them is that only certain mice work. So there's like a list of, I think, six mice, including the Logitech G Pro, the uh, Asus Chakram uh, oh, exist- Core. Are these existing mice, not mice that have been rolled out for this feature? These are sta- these are these are mice that were commonly used in the esports world. Oh, interesting. Oh, is that? Do you think that's something where they are having to add support for those mice in software or something like that? My guess is that they worked with the mouse manufacturers right. to add okay. whatever it is that they need. The, okay. What, the I, what one, I mean is, what I'm getting at though is, it's not like you need a specific mouse with you know you know the way that G Sync monitors need G Sync hardware in them. You're not. It's not a situation where the mouse needs specific hardware in it or something like that. I don't believe so. Okay. I, I mean, I, I assume that that is not the case. I assume that they're doing something on the driver level so that GeForce experience can tap into the mouse to see the to to my guess is that they're looking at pipeline numbers and then the total click registered by the monitor and going forward from there and 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 they're subtracting the system the CPU and GPU latency from the total latency reported by the monitor and that's how they get the mouse latency um i so i was able to the G Pro is a wireless mouse i was able to test it wired and wireless i tested this uh, Shockroom core mouse from Asus uh, the Chakram core was consistently half a millisecond. The Logitech mouse was like 2.6 milliseconds wireless and like 1.6 wired. Um, I don't think the one millisecond is enough for me to wire up the, the cordless mouse. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, but it's, is, it's like, is, is that the, to be clear, is that the mouse to CPU latency specifically? That or? is the, that is the time between when the mouse registers the click and the system the, the game starts acting, acting on, on it. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Uh, the the interesting thing about all this is that we tried to do something similar to measure click to photon latency on a system in like 2007 at maximum PC. And we got to the point that we were looking at, at renting, you know, 10,000 frame per second high speed cameras. And that's when we stopped because those were too expensive to uh, rent on the magazine's budget yeah. at the time. So I, I love uh, I love how there's something just delightfully mechanical about the way you have to measure this stuff. You know, like you like typically you feel like, oh, there must be some sort of sort of programmatic way to just profile this performance and pull these numbers out of the ether. But like you're sitting here talking about pointing a camera at a monitor and putting a piece of tape over a sensor on the mouse. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. this is so this is so fast that you have to like get back into the physical realm to, to actually to measure it, you know? Well, I mean, realistically, the way you would measure this if you weren't doing the if it wasn't built into the monitor and would support for the mice is you would get a really high speed camera pointed at a screen, have it lit bright enough that you could actually see the mouse button move on the high speed and then you'd have to measure when the actuation point is on that on that button press and then you'd count frames and you'd 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 multiply that by the frame rate of the camera and and get the number of milliseconds it took uh, on the screen and, it, and it's incredibly fiddly it takes a long time and and like realistically it takes a couple of hundred iterations to to do it to get a reliable number here because i saw a pretty good variance on the on the on the frame results uh in most of the games that i tested so interesting yeah it's it's a um if you plug in a so there's a couple things to note if you plug in a mouse that's not on the supported list then you get um then basically they have common mice in a database and they'll just give you the number that they've recorded which i think is probably fair um because i didn't i once once the mouse part was not the part that varied the cpu and the gpu parts were the parts that, that varied more than anything else uh, occasionally the monitor wouldn't pick up the flash if something happened, like if, if there was lightning or something on the screen. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much it. And the, the mice that are supported out of the box are, uh, Logitech G pro, um, uh, the Asus Republic of gamers, Chakram core, the razor death adder V two pro and the steel series rival three. Um, Logitech will be the, I, I have a special, BIOS uh, firmware for the mouse that is not going to be available at launch, but it'll be supported later on this year is my understanding. Okay. Um, All right. I, I have, I have one real actual question here. Okay. Which is, once you have that big fat number. Yeah. Is that actionable information? Is that something you can actually use to optimize or is that just like for funsies to gawk at and go like, Oh, that's good to know. I feel like it's probably a number that reviewers will care about. Um, more than anything, I, although I will say I had a problem with the driver install on my computer and it told me that something was wrong. Like the really? numbers I was getting were enough to know that something was jacked up with the driver install, which had me then reinstall windows on another SSD, Ooh. see if it worked there. Everything was fine. So I came back and did like a bunch of driver cleaning and, and got everything back in. in Is that actually a thing? I kind of assumed that in modern times that was just it was either leftover FUD from back in the day or it was just kind of an urban legend that I, bad, bad driver installs can actually jack things up. I, I, I don't know. I didn't troubleshoot to see what was actually happening, but I my performance was two and a half times less than it was supposed to be than it is now. That's pretty uh, significant. Yeah, it was it was some, something my guess is that when I installed the 20, the 3080 on top of the 2080 drivers, something got jacked up during that driver reinstall since I was putting the same version of the driver on top of the same version of the driver and didn't do a clean install. So the, the lesson here is probably do a clean install when you update your video card of the driver. But anyway, 
it's all good now. Um, and then the last thing is that these are coming out by the end of the year, I think as oh. early as next month is when they're going to start shipping. Uh, but I don't think we have official prices yet. Okay. NVIDIA didn't. I was, I'm waiting on a couple of words from a couple of vendors to, to see anything, but I haven't heard back yet. Uh, and we, we have run out of time. So, uh, the one thing I will say is that the monitor, these monitors are listed on some e-tailers at 700 bucks, I think, Ooh. for a 1080p, okay. 360 hertz monitor, yeah. which is like it, it is a one of a kind device. Yeah. My understanding is that the latency stuff is just part of the core G-Sync hardware. It won't be rolling back into old monitors, uh, but it will be in it, it's up to the manufacturer. All the manufacturer has to do is put the special USB port in, which is an uh, a, and I was told an extremely low cost change. Uh, so I, I'm hopeful that this will be a standard feature in G-Sync monitors going forward. I started to say that makes that a definitely an enthusiast item, but I think actually it's more of a professional slash like competitive level item. Well, so yeah, I think the 300, I think there's two different things here. One is the 360 Hertz. One is the, one is the, um, one is the, the latency testing. The reflex I think is supported everywhere. Yeah. Um, the latency, yeah, yeah, te- I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say the latency testing, I think like I would have spent a thousand dollars to be able to do that when I was testing video cards and mice regularly. Um, the, 360 hertz is for people who are incredibly serious about a very small subset of games that actually run at that speed. Yeah, that's what I meant is the 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 refresh at that level is is the one that's like pretty niche use case. Like the, the latency stuff obviously has much broader applications. Like like what what games does Dota run at 360 oh, frames sure a second? Well, I don't know if there's like there may be like arbitrary engine limitations there, but if not, like it is definitely a very fast performer if that's what you mean. Like it's yeah, one of those games like, that you know what really fucking screams on a good graphic card? Starcraft 2? Quake 3. Oh, man. Just pull down Ooh. the console, punch in com underscore show FPS 1. Yeah. You're off to the races. I bet you could. I mean, you could get you could get more than 360 frames a second in Quake 3 like 10 years ago. <laughs> Maybe we should throw it all away, Brad, and just be should, Quake 3 pros. We should play some Quake 3. Well, it's Quake Live now, but you know. I want to go back to the real stuff. I don't want any of this bouncy physics. I don't yes, want any no, of the, I agree, yeah, I agree, I want the I real, the real business. Like I, I assume that I imagine that Quake Live is actually a better product in every way, but in the in the magical, optimistic, idealized future where I set up those Quake servers, yeah, it'll be a Quake Three server. So, because that's what I grew up with. I the the thing I'll say is I was kind of a skeptic on the high refresh rate stuff for a long time until I started doing more VR work and I've I've held off uh, mainly because 1440 is hard for streamers because it's not a streaming friendly resolution to scale down to 1080. Um, and I had a 4k panel that was running at 60 Hertz that scaled down to 1080 beautifully. Cause you just, you know, run yeah, every pixel four times and an integer scaling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the difference in the way like playing Hades at 360 Hertz, even at 1080p, it looks like a piece of paper that's huh. just animated almost. Wow. Like it's still backlit and all that, but it's, it's, it's bonkers. Um, that's actually, when you put it that way. I would almost be more interested in seeing that than something like a Fortnite or a PUBG or some 3D shooter. I, I mean, I don't think there's any appreciable benefit. It just looks it just looks nice. And I, and I get I don't think that there's any like I think that the, the takeaway here should be, you know, get next time you buy a monitor, get a fast refresh rate monitor, not Definitely. necessarily 
get a ridiculous 360 hertz esports monitor right like yeah like i will will this i'm gonna i so i haven't been able to track my the the kind of stat of the performance stat that most people pay attention to in PUBG is average damage per round because it's a last hit game so like the person who gets the final shot in can do one damage and get the kill um which i know is familiar from other things uh the the I, I haven't been able to track because of stuff that we don't need to get into, but I've been playing in ways that don't necessarily reflect overall performance. Uh, I'm going to take a week or two and just play like I normally would and and go at it hard and see what the the ADR, see if there's an increase in ADR since I've gotten this monitor versus the times before. Because my my average damage has been really static at around 200, and, between 200 and 250 for like years now. Huh. So we'll see see what changes. Science. Yeah, science. Testing. Uh, it's been fun. This is a neat thing. Yeah. It's it's weird having such an incredibly low resolution monitor on my desk again. I will say <laughs> that. Well, fine. Can't have everything, man. Oh, and uh, these are all IPS panels. Oh. Uh, they do all sorts of strobing on the backlights to reduce blur. So the back, like you can set it to a backlight setting that produces good blacks and makes videos and stuff like that look like they should. Uh, when you put it in the gaming mode, it 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 blows out everything because that's the way, you know, that's the way the high refresh rate anti-strobe anti-blur gaming stuff works. Yeah. So it, I mean, it looks good with video and all the things you'd want. It also has HDR, but when you turn on HDR support, the, the high refresh rate stuff gets changed. So it's, it's, oh. it's a little fiddly. No, oh. um, I think that's just a, a necessity of the bandwidth on the HDMI port though. We're in the future. The future. 360 hertz is a lot of it's a, hertz. It's a lot of hertz. Yes. So, yeah, that's cool. it. That's the 360 right. hertz. If you have questions about the 360 hertz stuff, I've been answering them in the Discord and the PC channel uh, all day. And we'll continue doing that. Or you can send in questions to techpod at content.town. Um, should we, should we thank our patrons? Yes, Brad? please. Um, as, as always, uh, this podcast is brought to you with the support of, uh, let's see, I think 1300 and some wonderful wow. patrons. Jeez. Thank you so much. That's 1204 very... wonderful patrons. It's oh, very flattering. Uh, thank you all so much for your support. And especially thanks to our executive producer level patrons, Jacob Chappell, Andrew Cotton, and David Allen. Yeah. Um, as always, if you would like to support the tech pod, you can find out how to do that by going to patreon.com slash tech pod for as little as two bucks a month. You can get access to the fabulous tech pod discord where we talk about things like 360 Hertz monitors and yep. cooking. And there's a movies and TV channel. I noticed today. Yes, I made that on request yesterday. I also made a channel for work. What work like for work and like career development stuff. People want oh, a place to talk about work. And so that's awesome. They got their virtual water cooler. There you go. I like it. We have a big tech announcements channel, so we don't pollute the general chat when there's a new iPhone or Android phone announcement happening. Um, yeah. All sorts oh, of cool God. stuff. Yeah, the new Radeon's coming up next week, so I guess that, that channel will get some more action we'll soon. Get a little, little heat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, the $5 tier, you get the monthly, I don't know, bonus Patreon episode. exclusive episode. I guess, yeah. I guess is what we call it. What are we yeah. going to talk about? Are we going to talk about the jaunt this month? Hell yeah. God. Man, that was a... I don't, I don't want to burn don't, it. Don't burn the material. I... Yeah. We should have recorded that conversation like right after you finished that story. I'm so excited to talk about this. I'm I'm glad I've had a little bit of time to digest. It's it's it's, a, it's a lot. There's it's a, a lot, lot to think going about. on there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you read anything else in that book? I have. I, it turns out I had read that book before. Okay. Okay. I was reading the one, the kind of the, the one about the monster, the oil slick monster in the pond, in the lake. 
Oh yeah, yeah. The raft. Um, I think it's what raft. that one's called. The raft is a. That's yes. There's some pretty gruesome imagery it's, in that one. It's the thing I will say about that collection as a whole is that it is delightfully macabre in the same way as like old Twilight Zones, like 50s Rod Serling sure. Twilight Zones. Sure. I, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Yes, that's good stuff. But yes, yeah. we will be talking about the, the, the Stephen King short story, The Jaunt. On Not the next, Jaunt VR, no. which is a different thing. On on the next um, next patron uh, bonus episode in a week. Yeah, yeah sometime in the next week. We can record that this weekend if you want. Yeah, we should. I, I, just, I just want to talk about that. I think I'm going to reread this story again I, just I think to, it is, so it's I, fresh. I think it is, in some ways, it is one of the most horrifying things that I have read or seen or consumed in any really? media-related fashion. So if I'll, you want to... I'll explain look, why. That's in uh, Skeleton Crew, uh, yes. which is, I think, his, Stephen King's first short that's story second, collection. Second, second one. Night, Night Shift was... I think Night Shift might actually be even better than Skeleton Crew. His short stories are very good. They're both fantastic. They're two of my favorite books ever. I love when Stephen King writes science fiction. It's my favorite. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, so that'll do it for us this week. Thank you all for listening. Uh, again, the address is patreon.com slash techpod if you'd like to find out how to sign up and support the show and get some fabulous benefits for doing so. Uh, but yeah, I guess we'll see you all uh, next week. Always a pleasure, Brad. Bye, everybody. Bye.